Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Jason Freed. He is co-founder of 37 Signals and author of a great book I had him on a couple years ago uh, called Rework. And we're going to talk about his newest book uh, today, a uh, book that he wrote, uh, co-wrote with David Heinemeyer Hansen called Remote Office Not Required. So Jason, welcome back. Thanks, John. It's good to be here again. Hey, I wonder if you could talk. Last time we talked, I think, uh, for this show, um, you know, Basecamp was a couple years old, really maybe three or four players in the space. I, I was curious just what, what your take on, uh, it seems like there are dozens of people in that space now um, in some of the things that, that, that your software does. And I'm just curious if you'd kind of maybe share your take on how, how it really has, how that space has Kind of the online project management, online collaboration tools have really changed over the last few years. Yeah, there's there's a ton of them. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I haven't counted, but there's I don't know dozens and dozens and dozens. Right. Um, maybe a hundred. I don't even know. Uh, so there's there's a ton. Um, what we find most interesting though is that the biggest one remains the same, which is email. Yeah. Um, majority of people still manage projects um, by just sending emails back and forth. Yeah. Um, but there's there's some really good, really really good tools out there today, um, and uh, the bar is being raised all the time, and it's it's a good challenge for us since we've been around for you know, Basecamp's almost 10 years old now. Wow. Um, well, in February 2004, so been around the longest, and uh, it's just it's a good reminder that we you know got to keep our game up because there's a lot of great stuff going on out there, which which is great because even if people don't don't use Basecamp. Um, it's it's nice to see they have other options that are really good um, because when we launched Basecamp there were very few options, period, and the ones that existed were not good at all. So it's great to see the bar being raised industry wide. Yeah, well, in fact, uh, the, the, in a large degree, the premise of your current book <laughs> really uh, couldn't couldn't exist so much without some of these uh, incredible ways for people to work together. Um, in, in fact, I totally. one of my the daughters, my youngest daughters, just went to work for uh, Buffer. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with those folks, uh, social media management tool uh, out in San Francisco. We've got about 20 employees, and I think uh, I, I could be completely wrong on that, but I think it's about 20 employees, and I think only about five or six of them are in San Francisco. And they, you know, she was just showing me all of the various ways they, they stay in touch and are able to communicate and collaborate, and it's, uh, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, there's a lot of little tools. You know, for example, we use, we use Basecamp, we use Campfire, we use Instant Messenger, we use email, we use the phone, we use Skype, we use WebEx. You know, there's a yeah. lot of different things, a lot of different tools to get different jobs done depending on what you want to do. And it's kind of amazing that um, even though all these tools are sort of spread out uh, and there's multiple tools, like your monthly, your monthly spend on all these tools <laughs> combined is probably less than 100 bucks a yeah. month. And yeah. to see what you can actually do for that price is, is pretty incredible. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I remember it being a hundred bucks a month uh, or more for you know some of the first sort of meeting, remote meeting uh, technology uh, uh, that came out. So, so has all of this has what's gone on in the last few years? All the competition, and this is an unfair question, but um, has it has it impacted your original or ongoing strategy at Thirty Seven Signals? Other than just to say, I guess we got to do better. Uh, what we actually are doing uh, next year um, is. Is, is spending more time focusing. Um, one of the things that we, we've done over the years since we've been around for so long is, is make a lot of different products. Yeah. So technically we have five or six different products now. Maybe you can even count seven or eight. Um, and um, next year is going to be your focus because it, it becomes really difficult to 
maintain a high level of quality, especially today uh, on multiple products with a small company. And, and the main reason for that is, is because product development these days has changed. It's no longer, it, you can't just build one thing. For example, Basecamp um, can't just be Basecamp on the web. It's got to be Basecamp on the iPhone. It's got to be Basecamp yeah. on the iPad. And the right. iPhone and the iPad versions are different. It's got to be Basecamp on Android phone and tablet might be different. It has to be really good email experience too. So it's almost like every product you have is almost like five or six different products too. So it just becomes really difficult. So um, strategy-wise, we want to get back to the basics of where we where we came from, which is really focusing um, on 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 one thing that we know really really well. Um, and that's hopefully making really great software, but trying to do few, trying overall to to work on fewer things at once and just kind of give our attention to one thing. Well, and of course, you know, the other thing that's happening too is now everybody wants integration. You know, it used to be, oh, look, this great tool, isn't that awesome? Well, now we want this great tool to work with everything else we work with. Yeah, and that's another big challenge. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of it's tied back to what kind of company you want to run. So sure. we've decided that we want to run a relatively small company in terms of the number of people who work at the company, not in terms of revenues. Mm-hmm. Um, our revenues are are at the levels of many much larger companies. Um but we we have 40 people in the company, 41 now actually, and we we want to keep it around that number. Um, you know, we'll add a few here and there, or whatever, but not you know doubling or tripling. And because of that, because that's an important value of ours, which is keeping the company small, keeping the culture tight, and making this a great place to work. Um, we have to just come to terms with the fact that we can't keep launching brand new products all the time um, and be able to maintain them in high quality unless we were to grow the company significantly, which we don't want to do. So that forces us back to our, again, our original ideas of, of, of focus and, and really dedicating ourselves to, to just delivering high quality stuff, which means doing fewer things. I think in some ways it's a, it's a really good challenge to place on a company because uh, you'll either succeed, um, you'll either fail, I should say, by trying to chase too many things, or you'll succeed because you'll have only a couple priorities. And I think most companies need to focus on fewer priorities. Yeah, it, it's, it's so hard because you, you, you know, as a builder, as someone who makes things, you want to always make more things. Like you, you just like to make stuff. And so it's so hard to pull on the reins and go, you know, let's not make something new right now, or let's focus our energy on new. When we talk about making new things, like how can we make what we have better right. versus like just kind of making a new thing. And a lot of companies, I think as they get bigger and they get older, they start making more stuff. Um, and then you have to maintain more stuff and it's very difficult to maintain a high level of quality and more stuff. And so it, it's a great challenge. And, um, you know, we've been in business for 15 years. Um, it's really kind of refreshing for us to, uh, to look back at what we've done and also decide that moving forward, we want to be a bit more focused as a company. You, you wrote an article and I want to say it was 2010. I think I tracked it down, but I always loved the title. Why work doesn't happen at work. Um, yeah. and, I, and I think that was probably the start of this book, <laughs> um, uh-huh. uh, I would say. So, so have some things changed over the, over, I mean, has work just never worked at work or have things changed culturally, societally that, that has made that more so? Well, I think there's been, um, I don't know. I don't know what's changed. I mean, it's, it's, it, it seems like, uh, because we live in a, in a culture today that seems like it's more, uh, um, just uh, interruption driven. I mean, there's everything's instant now. Everyone's checking their phones all the time. And yeah. we're just getting used to this idea of everything has to happen immediately. Yeah. And because of that, I think there's more interruptions at the office. There's more, there's higher expectations 
for people to get back to you immediately. And so people are constantly bombarding each other with requests and that, which they expect answers for immediately. And that makes it very difficult to go to work and actually get something meaningful done when everyone else is bothering you for things they need done. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that, I think culturally there's a change there. I think there's also just less respect for private space and quality quiet time um, because everything has become so public and everyone's lives have become so much more public and people are sharing more public things that it seems like every space is now a public space and everything is now a public thing rather than having some quiet space where, where, you know, people don't bother you um, and and you can concentrate. So I think that's what's going on. I think that's just a a hunch. I I don't know if it's true or not, but that's kind of what I feel. Well, well, you also talk about some, some real benefits of working remotely. I mean, you, you kind of alluded to why work doesn't, you know, happen at work, but, um, I, from, from reading the book, I think you're a real proponent of the fact that there are some actual, you know, very dynamic benefits of being remote. You want to talk about uh, a couple of those? You broke up a little bit there. I, I oh, couldn't uh, hear that. I, I was just saying you, there are some you, – you, on, on top of the fact that you don't have privacy maybe at work, you know, you also talk about some very distinct benefits of, oh, yeah. of thinking about uh, uh, no office required. So you want to you highlight a few of those? Yeah, certainly. Um, when it comes to you know, what we were just talking about, the interruption factory, right. you know, which is what the modern office is, uh, when, when you work remotely, you, you have more control over your interruptions. Um, the interruptions mostly are yours uh, because you're not able to be pulled into meetings when you're not physically in an office space. Um, you don't have to answer your phone when you're not in an office space. You know, you can turn off your email and all these things. They can do all these things and have, have more control over the things that bother you. And so I think that's a huge benefit. Um, I, I also think that, and if you ask people, they would, they would, they would support this, that when, when they get a chance to work at home, they get more done. They just mm-hmm. simply get more done. They may even work fewer hours and get more done than they would normally work at the office and get less done. So something magical kind of happens when, when, you, when you're just free to work and you're not being interrupted nonstop. So that's another thing. I think another great thing is people can choose where they want to live their lives. Um, a lot of people's lives revolve around work, not just in terms of the hours, but the physical location where they have to live. You know, m- maybe even your, your spouse gets a job somewhere and you have to move. And now that might mean you have to lose your job because you have to move, but that's, that's terrible. And if, you know, why should you have to lose your job if you have to move? Um, so I think by having more companies, a lot of people work remotely, a lot more people can move to different cities and become more mobile and decide where they want to do with their lives and not be tied down to a single place just because that's where work is. Well, and, and cer- certainly from the company standpoint too, they don't lose that great employee <laughs> because totally. because they, they had to move. To right, someone. <laughs> it's like the whole idea doesn't make sense. You've got this yeah. great employee, yeah. and someone else in their life, something else in their life changes, which means they all of a sudden have to lose their job because they have to physically go to a new location. It's like it doesn't make any sense. No one wins in that situation. Yeah. It's like the company loses a great employee, and the employee loses a great job. How is that a good outcome? I, I just don't see that. So. For example, here we've had a variety of people move um, from Chicago, and some are moving to Chicago, and everyone gets to keep their job, and it's just great. So I think it just gives people more freedom, and I think it says that companies respect people more when, when they just say, hey, you're an adult, you know how to work, you know what your job is, you can get it done wherever you want, and we'll, we'll trust you to do that. I suspect in your case, particularly because you've had this in place for a long time, I, I suspect you've been able to hire some talent that you couldn't have otherwise acquired. That's probably the number one 
um, benefit for a company, for an employer, which is that um, you no longer just have access to people within, you know, 20, 30 mile radius, but you have access to the best people in the world, or at least a shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not everyone's going to be able to hire the best people in the world, obviously, but at least you have a shot at it. Um, it's unlikely that the best designer or the best programmer or the best customer service person or the best office administrator, whatever it is, is happens to live next door or down the street or, or in this one suburb over. It's, it's likely that um, they might be somewhere else. And if you, if you as a company cut yourself off um, to all these great people all over the place, you know, you're basically saying that um, you don't value great talent. You just value physical proximity. And I just don't find that to be compelling enough reason. I, I really don't. I think um, you know, we, we've had such great success um, hiring some, some great, great people who, live, who prefer to live in a small town because they like small towns, or they prefer to live somewhere where they can have uh, 10 acres uh, or, or more, or live in a farm, or whatever it is. Like, these are great people. They're incredibly talented people. Um, why should their choice of living on a farm impact um, the work they can do for us? As long as they can do the work, that, that we can hire them, and we have access now to someone who's great, who we normally couldn't hire. And I think, you know, as it becomes harder and harder to find great people because there's more and more competition for great people, if you're shutting off opportunities to hire great people because you have these weird proximity rules, I think you're really, you're really just going to hurt your own company. Of the 41 people that, that you talk about, how many are in Chicago? I'm sorry, say uh, that again? Of the 41 people that, uh, that you mentioned that are now employed by 37 Signals, how many are in Chicago? Oh, uh, about 13. So we have 13 people in Chicago and then 28 um, in about 25 different places because there's a few people who live in the same city. Yeah. Well, so do you ever find yourself saying, you know, but here's the drawback to that? I mean, are there any drawbacks to There are a lot of benefits yeah. to, to remote, oh, yeah. but what, what, what are some of the drawbacks that people need to consider? For sure. I mean, every, everything has drawbacks. Everything's a sacrifice and trade-off. So, um, you know, sometimes I wish that people were closer because I could just jump in a room with them and, right. and riff on an idea, you know. But then again, like, that's not always a good thing. It's yeah. not always a good thing to have, have such easy access to people and pull them off their work. But sometimes you wish, like, ah, it'd just be cool if we could just, like, sit down and chat about this or sit across the table and draw some stuff out. But, you know, the truth is, is, like, that is just a few hundred bucks away because I could get them on a plane if they want, and they could fly in tomorrow and it's a few hundred bucks and be like, we can solve that problem. Um, of them not being here occasionally. So there's, there's that. Um, I think there's also, especially for new employees, I think it's a little bit harder for new employees to get to know the company when they're not around and for me to get to know them uh, when I don't see them as often. I can't be as social with them in terms of just you know, the things that you get when you hang out with someone in person. So there's some of that stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, in, in general, I, I feel really good about those trade-offs because I think they're very small compared to the benefits that, that you get. And for, for one quick example of that, of that is like a few weeks ago, I started working on a new project um, and the designer who I was going to work on the project with, he lives in Boulder, Colorado. And so we flew him in and he spent two days here and it cost us basically less than a thousand bucks for airfare and hotel. And we spent two days, really high quality days, and then he goes back to Boulder, and I stay here, and we work together. And but, but the fact that we got together for two days gives the project such a great boost, yeah. um, and then we can get a lot of stuff done remotely. 
you know, one of the things you talk about in the book, and and I think there's probably people underestimate this, is is that remote work environment takes sort of a a real emphasis on the culture of building that. I think, um, and and that like get-togethers, like you know, putting all the technology in place, like having the annual retreat. I mean, I I think uh, you do have to. You can't just say, "Hey, look, we can all work remotely." I think you have to work at it, right? Yeah, you have to, uh, you know, you do have to get together sometimes. We try and do it two or three times a year. We fly everybody in um, for a week to Chicago, and, and we all hang out. So we get to know each other that way. You do have to make a commitment to um, certain technology. But like I said um, you know, earlier, the, the, the cost is so low these days, and the tools are so good that um, there's not much to it. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars or more on some really sophisticated video conferencing tool. You know, you can just use Skype for free. Yeah. You know, you can use iMessages for free. You can use FaceTime for free. You can use all these things for free or WebEx, whatever, a very cheap 20 bucks a month, something like that. Mm-hmm. Basecamp, 20 bucks a month. You know, these things are, are basically, you probably spend more money in postage, most companies do, than they do on the tools um, like this. And it's, it's amazing how, how far you can get with this stuff. Um, but, but, you know, there are costs associated with the two. You know, if you do fly people and it's not cheap, obviously, yeah, yeah. especially if you have 40 people, it's a lot of airfare, a lot of hotel. So you got a budget for that. Um, but again, I think it's, it's worth it. Of course, you don't need the desks and bricks and cement. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, you can have a much smaller office space yeah. or no office space and yeah. save a bunch of money on rent if you want. You know, you could, there's a lot of other ways to save money there too to, to offset that cost. So, it's been a little bit um, in the news of late. Uh, a couple months ago, the probably the biggie was was, was Yahoo. Uh, that that some companies are actually moving away from it. Um, is that you know is that is, is this impossible to do for a company that large, or is it really more of a again a, a cultural decision that that says, hey, if I can't see people, they must not be working. Yeah, you know, I, I don't have personally. Obviously, don't have experience running a company that large, um, so it's it's hard for me to say. But what I can say is there are, especially in the book, I think we cite dozens and dozens of examples of, of extremely large companies, Fortune 100, Fortune 50 companies, even who allow a lot of their employees to work remotely. So it's absolutely possible, and it absolutely works. Um, uh, Yahoo, you know, uh, Marissa Meyer made made her decision. She's a new leader. She certainly deserves the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, it's her company. Uh, she's obviously very accomplished, did some incredible stuff over at Google. So I think time will tell. But what what, what bugged me about it was that, and this might have been the media blowing it out of proportion. Sure. You know, I don't know what her ultimate intent was, but um, was is, I felt like the remote workers were, were the scapegoats. Yeah. It was like, well, you know, Yahoo's Yahoo's been in trouble. You know, we're not doing so well. Like we all need to be together. Basically, is saying like, well, these two or three or four percent of people who work remotely, it's it's kind of their their fault. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's just not fair. I mean, Yahoo, I think, has had five CEOs in five or six years. Um, they have some significant um, identity issues, and and this isn't due to the fact that some people work at home. Yeah. So, I, that, and and HP has done something recently too. I think they pulled in a lot of remote workers, um, or or fired them if they weren't willing to move. And, and I don't know. I mean, that's not HP's problem. HP's problem is far deeper than that. Now, again. It's up to each leader of each company to make their own decisions about what they think is important. And maybe Marissa Meyer's right. Maybe she does need everybody all hands on deck. But I, I, 
I would bet against that being what changes what changes Yahoo around. That doesn't seem like a um, it doesn't seem like the solution to me. It seems much, much, much deeper than that. Have you have you learned some things over the years, um, strategies that's specific to managing uh, people remotely or managing remote workers? Yeah, the, f- the first thing you have to do is fight the instinct to um, manage by walking around. Like, you know, a lot of managers manage by walking around where they they walk around, they see who's working, and they mm-hmm. tap people on the shoulders, and they, and they check in and that sort of thing. Um, uh, you, first of all, I don't like that style of management personally, but when, when people are remote, sometimes you feel like you need to do that even more often because you don't, you don't see them as much. So you end up bothering people more yeah. or you end up doubting people more and that sort of stuff. Uh, so you gotta, you gotta fight that instinct. The other thing you have to do is you gotta, you gotta keep an eye actually on how much people work. And I don't mean this because remote workers slack off and, ter- and actually it's the opposite. Right. A lot of people who work at home end up working more. Um, than people who work at the office because um, you know they don't have as much of a separation. So you got to keep an eye out for people who are overworked and working too long. Um, so that's something you got to keep an eye on as a manager. Um, and then you got to just get good at communicating um, and, and making and trusting people and making sure that um, you can detect when something isn't quite right. It's a lot easier to detect when something isn't quite right when people are 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 you know in an office together. Um, but sometimes, you know, you might notice someone's tone has changed or their answers are much shorter than they normally are. Someone might give you elaborate answers and then all of a sudden they're just yes or no's. And you just got to pick up on that sort of thing and just, and not wonder what's wrong. You just ask, Hey, you know, I noticed that, um, uh, you know, how are things going? You all right? You know, I've seen you've been working a little bit later than normal or even starting a little bit later than normal or things cool. You know, just kind of ask around and, and get a sense for how things are going rather than, assume someone's trying to take advantage of you. Yeah, that's interesting because what you're really talking about is really just good management skills, but it just it, it, you have to look for different things when you can't, you know, look the person in the eye every day. So, uh, it, it's it's really the same principles in some ways, but obviously a different set of lenses. Yeah, it's it's similar fundamental cues yeah. that something's up, but you just have to look at them, look for them in different places and look at them in different ways. And so those are just skills you have to pick up. I mean, you're not going to be good at it when you first start, um, but you get better at that. And um, I've noticed it most in in tone of of writing. Um, I think that's when a lot of things uh, that that's when a lot of sort of issues show themselves, um, especially when people who used to be sort of outspoken and verbal and, you know, really speak a lot or write a lot. And when, when they start giving shorter answers and stuff, you can tell something's up. And so it's just a good idea to check in on them at that point. So let's flip that around. Um, as a remote worker, which I guess you can, you can qualify as a remote worker. So you have yeah. some experience with that. Or if you're somebody out there who's, who thinks, well, gosh, I would love to do that. Are there some different practices or, or uh, techniques or tactics that you need to really kind of uh, ingrain? Um, yeah, I think it's, I think it's important, first of all, if you're a remote worker to have a dedicated space, either in your house or, yeah. or, um, uh, co-working space or something to go work. If you watch TV on the couch, it's probably not a good idea to work on the couch. You know, if you, if, because it starts to form weird habits. If you're, if you're, you know, used to lounging on the couch, it's probably not a good place to go work because you'll start lounging there and. So I think it's just good to separate that a little bit. Yeah. 
it's also good to understand who you are. You know, are you are you someone who needs to be around people all day? Um, remote working does not have to mean isolation, but it can mean isolation if you're not careful about it. So if if you if you're a real extroverted person, you like to be around other people and you need energy, you know, from other people, then then um, your best bet is probably not to work at home, but to go find a co-working space or go hang out at a coffee shop or or whatever. But if you're if you're someone who who thrives on on quiet and peace and that sort of thing and, and, and privacy, then you probably don't want to spend a lot of time out in co-working spaces or cafes. But anyway, you just got to get to know yourself and, and know where you work best. And also I think when you work best, I think um, remote workers, especially new remote workers often feel like they have a lot to prove. Mm-hmm. And so they might, again, getting back to the idea of overworking or work too hard or, or you know, I, I think you just got to, got to ease into it a bit and, um, and get used to it and, and give it some time and, and let your manager know that, you know, Hey, this is new for me. Um, I, I'm really interested in making this work, but, uh, if, if you, if you know, if, if you notice I'm working too much or if you, if you, if you see some, some behavior that, that you don't like, like, please let me know because I, I need to learn how to do this myself. So just being very open with, with your manager, or your boss, I think will help too. Do you, um, have people that are what, kind of walk, a hybrid. I mean, do you, is that a, an alternative uh, where you maybe you work in the office two days a week and you work uh, remotely three days a week? Yeah, that's just about everybody actually. Yeah. Okay. Who works in Chicago, including me? Today, for example, I worked at home. Um, I, I usually go in the office three days a week, um, at least sometimes up the whole whole week, but at least three days. But I usually get in at around eleven. So in the morning, I, I work from home. I clear out a bunch of sort of email stuff, administrative stuff. And then I go into the office around 11 and, uh, and, and I do some more sort of the creative side of things in the afternoon. Um, so that, that, that's me. Most people are the same way. Um, some of our designers, um, come in twice a week. Um, uh, you know, a couple people rarely come into the office who live in Chicago, but they do sometimes or they'll go in phases where, you know, especially in the winter when it's kind of crappy to commute, when they usually ride their bikes, they might ride their bikes, you know, less frequently. And so they're only in every few weeks, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's, that's totally fine. I mean, the office is not here to force anyone to go to it. It's, it's the office for us is a luxury. Like we say in the book, it's, it's not required. It, it should be a luxury item for you. And, and you should decide that you're willing to spend money on something that's a luxury because you don't need it. Um, but you know we we've created we've created a very comfortable place to work and and I hope people take advantage of it if if that's the environment they're looking for but they certainly don't have to. Well, and that's really interesting because I think that that in in many ways is is truly the 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 office of the future. I mean, I, I a lot of companies, you know, maybe have, you know, have people over in, you know, Australia or somewhere uh in China, you know, that that do very specialized work, but I think it's probably almost more typical that they will still have people a lot of people in close proximity, but they'll come to the office kind of as needed um and and work so that that sort of natural hybrid uh solution I think it seems to be occurring uh whether people call it remote work or not. Yeah, I think I think the natural hybrid is is a more comfortable place and a more realistic place for more com- for most companies. I, I don't think it's very realistic for most companies to even imagine working completely remotely. It's just too radical a change. Um, so, so hybrid's a good a good first fit, a good first step, and might be the last step, which might be just perfect too. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I think you know there certainly are completely completely remote companies, but um, I don't think that should be the goal. Yeah. I think the goal should be the option of more freedom 
for workers and the option to uh, for, for better talent for um, companies. And um, it's all about some options and some freedom and finding places where each person works best. Not everybody is going to work best from nine to five at a desk. It's just it's just not the way people are. Everyone's a little bit different. So it's this really celebrates that more so than um, anything else. Well, Jason, it's always great to visit with you. Remote office not required um, is, uh, if I can, uh, a pun here is probably required reading. How's that? <laughs> um, but. Uh, um, it, it's really, uh, I, I think, something that uh, is is not going away. I think it, as you said, it. Uh, I think it really. The, the, I have some twenty year old um, in their twenties, I should say, kids, and and that, you know, that type of work style really appeals. The 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 freedom of having you know choices and whatnot, I think, is is really appeals to that generation particularly. But uh, I think it is uh, definitely. It's it's obviously it's a model that's worked for you guys. A very successful company and uh, a great great book. So. Appreciate you taking the time. And uh, next time, thanks, I'm up, John. It's been been great. Next time I'm up there in Chicago, I need to stop by. I, uh, even though no, even though nobody will be there, um, I'll no come one will by be the, there. I'll come by the you office. Will, you will knock at an empty door, but, <laughs> but do it anyway. <laughs> no, if you're if you're in town, let me know. I'll I'll make sure to be there. All right. Thanks so much. Take cool. care. See you later. Bye.